Hey, welcome back to another edition of First Draft, the only podcast that thinks the football season has just begun. Meanwhile, the rest of football media is on to the offseason. I'm Field Yates, and I am joined, as always, by the man who is the NFL Draft, Mel Kuyper Jr., Mel, how you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good for you. I know you're doing a lot better yeah. than yesterday. Uh, so, okay. the way you know, I feel like Steve Young right now. You know, like yeah. after the monkey was ripped off his back, uh, the 49ers yeah. beat the Chargers in resounding fashion back in uh, the early 90s Super Bowl. I feel like a new man after Mach 1.0 day is behind us. But of course, we're going to dive into all that, Mel. But I got to tell you, my respect for you was already incredibly high prior to yesterday. But just going to the ringer once. How have you survived all these years of doing mock drafts and then going on TV and talking about it for a full day? It's tough, I tell you, especially when you have uh, you know different versions of the mock that you could have sent to ESPN and finalized. Field. That's what we'll get into today because it's not easy. And one little change affects everything. So yeah. it's like putting a puzzle together and you feel you never feel good when you're finished a mock draft. You never yeah. feel good. Because you know you left some guys off of teams you thought they could take. You left a guy or two out of the first round that you thought could be in there. You forced the guy in because of a need that you maybe didn't have that high a grade on. So you could present 16 versions of that Mach 1.0 field or Mach 2.0, whatever one it is, and somebody out there is going to have a big issue with it. So what you have to do, say, hey, then you do your own, and I'll take shots at that. You know, That's yep. what I always That's say. Right. You guys all do one, and let's let, let us critique it. So no matter who does a mock, there's going to be a critique out there and somebody's going to have a problem with something they did. I tell you what, the it was an interesting process. And for those that haven't done this in a professional capacity before, because I've done mock drafts plenty of times in my life, they just were with no stakes, right? It was just for fun. <laughs> it was me with friends. It was me with friends comparing our mock draft to Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock drafts. It was funny to see some of the hurdles that went into doing it, though, in a professional capacity. The first one, Mel, is this. If you're doing a mock draft, you have to decide early in the process are you doing a mock draft based off how you think the league will draft players or how you personally would draft players, right? Because there were players that went much higher in my mock draft than my own big board would have them, which suggests that my thought process, and for those that are believing this, they are correct, is more of how I think the league will address these players come April 25th, not how I personally would address them in sequential order. The second part of it, Mel, was you're starting to go through uh, your your write-ups for these players, and it helps to add some context about the team. But to your point, if you write up every player based off of the player's traits plus what he brings to the team, and then you adjust one pick, like if you've made it through 22 and then you go back and you change pick nine out for somebody different, that means you got to rewrite every other subsequent blurb as well. So this was one of those things that I thought was just going to be writing 32 picks in order. The truth, Mel, was I probably ended up writing like 50 or 55 picks because I went back and rewrote small sections of the mock draft. So you have taught me this is a much more complicated process than I gave it credit for. Field, I started this 1978 college football season, 1979 draft. And I think for the first three or four draft reports I put out, I had one that was how I would select for yep. each team based on the flow of the draft as you saw it, right? If I were picking one, I would take this guy. That made the two would be this all the way through. If it had gone that way, who would I take if I were the GM of each team with the draft com players coming off the board that way? I had a second one next to it, which was how I think they will pick. So yeah. that was the, the mock draft as we know them today. Not what we would do, but actually what we think the NFL teams will do. Then you get into this problem field, direct hits. If you have in a mock first round, and nobody understands this concept until you do them, you could do it the morning of the draft. If you have seven or eight direct hits, 
you're done pretty good. If you yeah. have 25 of the 32 in the first round that you projected, that's pretty good. But yeah. people expect you to have 30, 31 in the first and 25, 20 direct hits. That's not happening. Yeah. There's no way that can happen. And then you have trades and you have a couple of things happening. You, like you said, you're debating two or three players. You put the wrong player. The real trick is, Field, when they force you to do a two or three round mock, good luck on that one because then you're trying to fill needs. So if you change a player in the second round, it affects the need. And then you have to find a guy. If you can't find a player, what do you do? So those first, second, third round mocks are a nightmare. I have not yet heard from the editorial staff about how many rounds my mock drafts that I'll do in subsequent weeks and months will go, but I am hoping not more than two rounds because that feels daunting just to get to 64 picks. Hey, I used to do a six-round mock in my I draft report back in the day. Oh, Six my God. Round mock, I, I think Miller still does a full seven-round mock draft. I know. So shout out to Matt Miller for doing yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Last thing that I will say, Mel, is um, now I'm not trying to take myself off the hook. If I, my final mock draft gets one player right, uh, I hope it's better than one out of 32. But I think maybe the more accurate sort of assessment of a mock draft is what you talked about second, is if you're getting a, you know, 25, 26 of the 32 picks correct, not necessarily in the same order, because the reality is one thing at the top, one trade at the top early in the draft could totally throw everything else amiss, right? If you have a guy projected to go second to the Washington Commanders and instead the Commanders make a trade with the Falcons and pick eight, that might screw up every pick from two to nine or two to 10, whatever it might be. So um, I do think having like the right players in the right range is perhaps more accurately reflective of kind of sizing up the board correctly as opposed to those direct hits. Yeah, no question, Field. It's how many players in the first round that are you you know, putting in there at some point in the first round? It doesn't have to be direct hits yep. you know this team took that player because obviously uh, you know every year there's going to be trades and we can't project those now we can try to come as it gets closer to the draft but hey who says our trades that we project are going to be correct then it yep. really screws you up so sometimes you're better off just letting it go put the players in and just try to as you say put them in a range and it's for the fans because you yep. want to say oh, up, as of today this is what we're hearing and that's what i'm going to do the morning of the draft i'm not doing a mock 5.0 anymore the morning of the draft that's a dis yep. that's disgusting because it, all you think about when you're sitting there at the draft is, what did I have in the last mock? Yeah. What, what I, and it's, it, it, your whole thought process is skewed. What you need to do that day, in my opinion, field is have this. News and notes. Here's a, some stuff that I've heard. Yep. These are guys who could go in this range. This team could consider this, this, and this. Don't No mock drafts the morning of the draft. If people Writing this down right fine, now. There'll be a million of them out there. I personally eliminated it after last year because I was up till three, four in the morning uh, and I still was completely wrong with the, the direct hit part of it. So no, I said, it's, it's, it's not fun. There's nothing. And from an entertainment value standpoint that you can provide news and notes for me will be the better way to go this year. Well, that kind of tells me, Mel, that I might be getting a call from Ben or Dane, two of our great editors here at ESPN, saying, hey, so we got a new project for you. Mach 5.0, April 25th, the day of round one. If that is the case, I will gladly take on the yeah, responsibility. Kuiper bailed, so you got to pick up the slack this year. Uh, Kuiper stunt right here, the first Kuiper stunt of the yeah. season here. Uh, so what we're going to do today, Mel, is we're going to go through my Mach 1.0 with you uh, poking and prodding at it as you see fit. Uh, at the beginning of the mock draft, Mel, will move with a little bit more speed because believe it or not, you and I see the first four picks identically right now. The fifth pick is our first disagreement, but I don't think it's that strong of a disagreement, but let's dive 
right into it. I'll read my top five picks mail again. Reminder to everybody, there are no trades. The order is as it is in real life right now. Chicago Bears one, take Caleb Williams, quarterback from USC. Commanders take Jaden Daniels, quarterback from LSU. Patriots take Drake May, quarterback from North Carolina. First time we've had three quarterbacks go one, two, three since 2021. And meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals say no more quarterback talk. We go to Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver from Ohio State. We round out the top five with the Los Angeles Chargers taking offensive tackle Joe Alt from Notre Dame. They kick him from left to right tackle. And there we have the top five. Any thoughts on those first five selections? First four look really good. Uh, you have to see what happens with Drake May through the process. You know, pro days, combines, all those things for quarterbacks. Some aren't even important. I know a lot of GMs have told me over the years, I already knew who I was taking when I went to the pro day. I just had to go because if you don't go, then yeah. you know you're not taking that quarterback. So you kind of go to just show everybody, hey, I'm interested in all these quarterbacks, yet the decision has already been made. In terms of the top five, five field, I'm looking at it here, the, the, the Chargers. What is Jim Harbaugh now? Joe Ortiz coming in. Yeah, what are they going to do? Greg Roman, new coordinator. What yep. are they going to do at five to help Justin Herbert? You mentioned Joe Alt, heck of a player. Am I fighting Irish? Love the kid, love his dad, love everything about him. You move him to right tackle like Lane Johnson. You got the offensive line solidified for a long time. You keep Justin Herbert upright, keep him healthy, right? And let him do the things he needs to do. Or do you say, okay, we're okay there. We can find somebody, but we got to take a Brock Bowers because we're tight end centric. We're Jim Harbaugh's team, right? Jim Harbaugh loves tight ends. The John Harbaugh, right? Love tight ends. Or do you take the receiver like a yeah. Neighbors or a Romo Dunes? They say they have a tough. It's a great position to be in field, and it also br brings to light the possibility of trading down. If mm. you're sitting at five and all those players are there, all four of them are there, which we expect them to be, then can you move down a couple spots and you say, hey, we, we'll take any one to four, but we'll pick up some extra draft choices. They could go that route as well. If they feel like these four guys are all even, we love them all, we'll take whichever one, move down several spots, and you know you're going to get one of those four guys and be happy with it. There are a couple of spots that I think are really interesting for them to consider moving down, or at least a couple of ways in which you could really convince a team to move up. One would be if you feel, if there, are, if there is a team that feels like they must have an offensive tackle and feels like the gap has grown enough between Joe Alt and the second best offensive tackle in the entire draft process, that they would want to move up to pick five to ensure they get Joe Alt and are not left for whoever is second on their board amongst offensive tackles. The other idea, Mel, would be you find a team that says, all right, you and I both love Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze basically equally. You know, I've got Neighbors ahead of Odunze, you have Odunze ahead of Neighbors. But if you find a team that says, hey, there is one of those two, if we get closer to the process and consensus for whatever consensus is worth, feels like it is leaning towards one or the other. And you find a team that says, listen, we think consensus is Roma Dunze is ahead over Malik Neighbors. And we think the gap between Roma Dunze and Malik Neighbors is that large. You might be able to find a trade-up partner for that pick five for somebody that really needs a wide receiver. But ultimately, why I went with Joe Wald in keeping with the no-trade fashion here is you mentioned the three men now responsible for making decisions on the offensive side of the ball in Los Angeles. Jim Harbaugh, Joe Ortiz, and also... Greg Roman, the new offensive coordinator, right? Who we know is going to be the most run-centric offensive coordinator probably in the entire league. And Jim Harbaugh, as we know, just won a championship with a great defense and obviously a great running game as well. I know that Trey Pipkins was re-signed this past offseason to a three-year deal. I look at that deal as one that's not prohibitive enough that if you felt like Joe Ald was that good of a player, Mel, that you could replace 
Trey Pipkins with Joe Alt feel great about it. I just I feel like it's a meat and potatoes type draft coming for the Los Angeles Chargers. There's no Michigan player that I could put at pick five mail, so I had to go a different direction. I do fully expect them to take someone like Junior Colson or, or maybe Chris Jenkins at pick 37, whatever their next pick. But for now, I felt like building through the trenches is the way that Jim Harbaugh in his perfect world wants to build out this roster. Yeah, and when you go that route, then 6 through 10 become a little bit different. If you plug Mm. the receiver in or the tight end in, then we affect, obviously, moving forward. So that's what all at 5. What are we doing with 6 through 10, Field? Yeah, so let's go to 6 through 10, and let's go through. I actually felt fine about 6-7 felt fairly straightforward to me. So the Giants take Malik Neighbors. You and I have gone back and forth on Neighbors versus Adunze, six in one hand, a half dozen in the other. Absolutely love both of those players, which is why Roma Adunze goes seventh to the Tennessee Titans in this mock draft. Big support for Will Levis. They still need to address the left tackle spot, but I didn't feel like there was a tackle that was worth that seventh overall pick at this point with Joe Walt off the board. We move to pick number eight, time for some defense. Atlanta Falcons, Raheem Morris, their new head coach. You always like to make your head coach happy with his first draft pick. They go Dallas Turner, edge rusher from Alabama, incredible athlete, SEC Defensive Player of the Year this past season, 10-plus sacks. And, Mel, they're top two edge rushers from last year, Bud Dupree. And I guess you can't even call Calais Campbell an edge rusher, but he was their tied leading sacker last year with Dupree. At just six and a half sacks. So you need more pure pass rush in Atlanta. Number nine, and I want to make sure that we revisit this pick because it was the first inflection point for me. The Bears taking Leatu Latu, UCLA, UCLA edge rusher. To me, the most pro-ready defensive prospect in the entire class. I'll have some thoughts on that in just a moment. And then number 10, Mel, was the first pick where I said to myself the night before the draft, I just wish I could change it up one more time. Olufashanu from Penn State, my left tackle, was the pick. Who I wanted to actually move up there, Mel, was Tyler Guyton. Right tackle in college, but potential left tackle in the pros. Oklahoma, a guy who I just think the NFL is going to love as the pre-draft process continues further. Player with not as much experience as Fashanu, but the upside is immeasurable. What stands out there? Yeah, I think when you look at the Atlanta Falcons, I think that sticks out because you're getting away from the offense and you're going for Dallas Turner, the pass rusher when you went for skill players over the last X amount of years with B. John Robinson, you know, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, all those guys were brought in to help the offense, but you still have a quarterback issue. What does yeah. Atlanta do? I still think Justin Fields makes a lot of sense. People say, well, you can't give up the eighth pick. You got to give up a two and a four. Uh, if you want Justin Fields, Pittsburgh Steelers obviously would be in the discussion for Justin Fields. We'll get to, to them as we move forward through the first round here. But I think Atlanta's got to figure out the quarterback position. Fields, to me, would make the most sense in some way, somehow getting him to the Atlanta Falcons organization. Then you take the defensive players, you just have the edge rusher. Will there be a spot there? to maybe move down if they wanted to, if they feel like, okay, you know, we can find a player. You mentioned Latu. Is Latu going to go top 10 considering he had the injury, has a forced retirement medically, ends up leaving the school? We talked about Jalen Phillips. He dropped to, what, 18 in the first round the year he came out. Is top 10 too high for a player who did show really good natural pass rush ability? No doubt about it. Latu can get after the quarterback. He's slippery. He understands what it takes. He has that knack, right? We all talked about that. But is the injury question going to push him down just a little bit where the top 10 is a little too high? So I have to see you on that one field. I know that's a tough spot there to really figure out who you're going to go with. And in the top 10, what was the toughest team to, to make a pick for? Of all the teams in the top 10, who gave you your most trouble? 
it was the Bears at pick number nine. And I just want and I think you and I both know this and see it the same way. With Playatu Latu, if the medicals check out, there's no doubt in my mind that he's a top 12 player in the class. Not a doubt in my mind, not a single doubt, but just a reminder for those that maybe aren't as hardcore into the draft. A few seasons ago, back in 2019, medically retired while he was playing at University of Washington under Jimmy Lake at that time. He ends up getting clearance, transferring to UCLA, resumes his career, becomes one of the best players in all of college football. I am mocking him right now to number nine with the idea in mind that he will have medical clearance. Maybe the case, Mel, is that 20 teams feel like he is a medical risk and 12 don't. Maybe it's 25 teams feel like he is no medical risk and seven do. I don't know that information. I'm hoping we get some clarity on that at the Combine, which is just a couple of weeks away from right now. But until I am told that the medicals are so bad, or if they are so bad that I can't have them this high, I just feel like you know the tape is so darn clean and good. He is not going to be the same level athlete as Dallas Turner, but Leao Latu is an incredible prospect. But for the Bears, Mel, I wanted to give him an offensive playmaker, but I couldn't quite get there with Brock Bowers because they recently reinvested in Cole Komet. And I actually feel like Komet had a pretty darn good year last season. They're very different players in terms of the way that they operate at that tight end spot. I thought about it for Brock Bowers though, Mel. I ended up with Leao Latu because the Bears, even after acquiring Montez Sweat, had the second fewest sacks in the entire NFL last season. They still are looking for one more edge to beef up that Matt Eberflus defense. Okay. How about 11 to 15, Field? All right. 11 to 15, Mel. Here's where things continue to be a whole lot of fun. Minnesota Vikings. And I want to say this right now. Warm up with the hottest games live with Vivid Seats. No matter the sport, Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love. Plus, with Vivid Seats rewards, you can score free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, an annual birthday discount, and more. They're the only ticket company in the game that rewards fans for every purchase. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DRAFT. That's code DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100, 100 times, times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code DRAFT for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code DRAFT on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. March decisions inform April draft selections. I think I've said that on the podcast recently, but I will continue to reiterate it because I am right now operating under the idea that Kirk Cousins returns to Minnesota. I'm not, uh, you know, not Joe Fortenbaugh or Tyler Fulgham or Aaron Dolan from uh, ESPN Bet Live who probably have the odds on that mail, but I think inertia often does prevail when it comes to quarterbacks in free agency, right? There's a lot of money you can be offered to stick around in Minnesota. 
But if they don't have a quarterback, it'll be a problem. But for now, Jared Hurst, Florida State edge rusher, goes to the Vikings. Worth noting that Daniil Hunter and DJ Wanham are scheduled to be free agents. So three big-time free agents right there. I'm not saying they can't keep all three of those guys, but if they are unable to keep one or both of their edges, that's going to create a massive hole. Number 12, J.J. McCarthy going to the Denver Broncos. We can talk about that one, I'm sure, in just a little bit. Pick number 13, Las Vegas Raiders, Byron Murphy II. Maybe their biggest need coming into the draft right now is defensive tackle. Murphy, a guy who I know you and I see a bit differently, but still really like the player, and he can kind of fill some of what they need in that defensive tackle spot specifically. 14, New Orleans, they got my guy, Tyler Guyton. Worth noting that Ryan Ramchek, part of that 2017 draft class, became an all-pro player, has some serious, serious health issues right now. Sounds like that knee that's really bothered him for a couple of years now, Mel, may prevent him from ever being the same player he was. I'm not even sure he'll play again beyond this season. It seems like there's at least some questions surrounding that. And Trevor Penning, their first-round pick just a couple of seasons ago out of Northern Iowa, has really not met up to not met expectations. So offensive tackle feels like a sneaky big need right there uh, for the New Orleans Saints. And at pick number 15, an easy one for me, at least in terms of the position, Terrion Arnold going to the Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis figured out a way last year to be fairly respectable against the pass, Mel, but super young at cornerback this past season. Terrion Arnold, a player who had a breakout 2023 year, was constantly around the ball, 12 passes defensed, five interceptions, has great route recognition, he's tough, he's physical, uh, one of the best corners in this class, but a class that actually has like a decent amount of first-round pedigree at cornerback spot, he gets cornerback one in my mock draft. I think it's going to be really fun to see how this cornerback position plays out with the workouts coming up in the combine field and pro days. Who ends up being the top corner? Who ends up being CB1? Cooper DeGene yeah. from Iowa comes off an injury. Is he a safety? Is he a corner? Quinian Mitchell had the great senior bowl week coming out of Toledo. Nate Wiggins had a really good year at Clemson. You talk about what uh, Terry and Arnold did at Alabama. Was a guy tackling, outstanding. He was versatile. Yeah. He was well, the kind of guy that you know, obviously coached up really effectively with Nick Saban. Had a really good year. A lot of cornerbacks in this draft. And it's Drake Stroll Jr., another kid from Missouri. A lot of people like him. So to yep. me, I think cornerbacks are going to play out over the next couple of months. Right now, it's not really clearly defined. J.J. McCarthy to Denver. This in is the, the one, now. In the a, that was the one that I had to Seattle. And I had him there, obviously, when you think about where we are right now with J.J., I think he's quarterback four. I think he's QB four. I think he's ahead of Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix. I do. You do, obviously, two field. And I think Denver's interesting. You're in the AFC. You're in a division with Mahomes and Herbert. And you got all these ASC quarterbacks that we're talking about. And they're all great. And Mahomes is special. He's the greatest of all time, one of the greatest of all time. You can't just be good. You can't be average. You can't be decent. You got to be really trying to hit the home run. Yeah. That's what you got to be because average quarterbacks, you know, it's just going to be tough in a division. You can't be third or fourth. It's yeah, or a distant third or fourth. You better be right there if you're third. Right. So we'll get Completely to the green. Better not be fourth. So for JJ, is JJ in two, three years, he just turned 22 years of age. Yep. What's just turned 20, 20, 21, 21, turned 21 yeah. years of age, just turned yep. 21 years of age in February. He was 20 all year. So it, in a couple of years, and CJ Stroud was the youngest quarterback last year. If you remember is yep. JJ, going to get to the level field with Sean Payton, 
where he can close that gap and be one of the elite quarterbacks in the AFC. Do you yeah. see that kind of upside with J.J. McCarthy is the big question right now. Mel, if I were to grade my own mock draft, if this were to play out that way, and if, if they were to actually take him 12th, I'd give myself an A for nailing the pick, and I'd give them about a C for the grade itself, right? Because I don't see that upside at this moment with J.J. McCarthy. And I think, frankly, Mel, it's hard for anybody to state definitively that they see that with J.J. McCarthy. I am not trying to say the numbers are the only thing that matters. But during the last six games of the season, and as we know, Michigan early on in the year played the cupcake of all cupcake schedules while Jim Harbaugh was gone. But when they finally got to the teeth of their schedule, and to be clear, they were the best team in college football, bar none, by far. I'm not saying they won the championship just because of their schedule. But when things started to heat up over their last six games, now six, he had 857 passing yards four passing touchdowns, and one interception. All right, so he took care of the football. That's important. But think about that. That's less than 150 passing yards per game. What that tells us is that they weren't asking him to do a whole lot relative to other people. As I joked with somebody recently, 857 passing yards is like six quarters from Michael Penix, right? I mean, that guy was putting up 400 yards left and right, it felt like, for that Washington offense this past season. So for JJ, it's a major projection, Mel. But when you factor in this, the Broncos have six total picks in the draft. They have no second round pick. Their salary cap is going to be tough to create a bunch of room to acquire somebody else. And who is available? Kirk Cousins, if he goes back to Minnesota, Baker Mayfield, if he goes back to Tampa Bay, what free agent quarterback tickles your fancy if you're Sean Payton? Because you're not going to have a bunch of resources to acquire said player. And if you want to win this year, which Sean Payton wanted to win last year, he made that incredibly clear. From the moment he took the Denver job, how do you get better? How do you make the playoffs if you have no Russell Wilson at quarterback? Maybe you feel like Jared Siddham gives you enough of a chance, Mel, and I actually think Siddham's a perfectly decent, solid quarterback. But I think that you are probably saying to yourself, we must keep swinging at quarterback until we get it right. So while I don't think he has that upside, Mel, wouldn't surprise me if he goes fairly early on in the draft. Yeah, the 80s, you had quarterbacks throwing the ball in the NFL 25 times a game. Right. It's a different That's game. J.J. Yeah. McCarthy right now. Right. And, and J.J., when he was asked to do things in that championship game with his legs, he did, and with his arm, he did. Unfortunately, some of his receivers let him down, right? Yep. So he has not thrown interceptions, but we remember the critical interceptions. We remember the two pick sixes against TCU. Remember the yeah. pick before the half against Maryland. Remember the three against Boeing Green. We remember some of those interceptions, but there weren't many field over right. the last couple of years. This kid is smart. He's highly competitive, Josh Allen-type competitive, right? He has the necessary arm strength. He has tremendous athleticism, and that athleticism is going to test out really well at the combine, okay? <laughs> He's going to interview really well. So I think the, the you talk about how young he is, just turning 21 years of age. All those things are going to force somebody or be the reason somebody falls in love with J.J. McCarthy between now and late April. Take that to the bank. Somebody will fall in love with J.J. McCarthy between now and then. Okay, and it wouldn't He's surprise me if it's Sean Payton, by the way. First round. Yeah, and Mel, you know, you and I are draft analysts, but you know, Sean Payton is a quarterback guru. Mm -hmm. I always tell people this: coaches are wired with a certain self belief, a confidence. Some might even call it an arrogance that they think they can be the guy that turns the player mm -hmm. into this guy. I use Jay Cutler as an example often, right? Jay, first round pick, actually had a really, really solid career, right? But every time a new coach acquired Jay or Jay stayed in the same spot and, and, and a new coach was hired, part of the mindset was always, I can make Jay 
this elite quarterback that he flashed at times. I can make him that consistently because coaches believe they can do that. If that came across as a shot at Jay, I apologize. But it was like, you know, the talent was evident. It was the consistency that you needed to see. Same thing with JJ, right? If you go and you watch a YouTube cut-up of JJ's best plays from his past three years in Michigan, I guarantee it looks pretty darn good. It's just that relative to other prospects that we see this year and that we have seen in prior years, it's much more of a projection because of the small sample size and the limited number of things that he was asked to do relative to others at that same position in this year's draft. Any other questions from 1115, by the way, or do you feel pretty good about how things have unfolded? Not, I'm anxious. To get to, I can't wait to get to 20, but let's go 16 to 20, Phil. 16 to 20. Here's where things get spicy. Brock Bowers, they're going to come off the board, by the way. There you go. Brock Bowers. You know what? The wait is officially over. Oh, Brock right. Bowers goes 16th to the Seattle Seahawks. I know Mel loves that one. Jackson Powers Johnson, the center from Oregon, goes 17th to Jacksonville. Fills a major, major need for an upgrade there. Talisi Fuaga goes to the Bengals at pick number 18, Mel, the big hulking right tackle from Oregon State who just loves to punish defensive players. Quinn Mitchell, who we talked about already, the uh, Toledo cornerback who heads to the Rams, who mm-hmm. talk about an incredible job that Raheem Morris did this past season, getting as much as he could out of that Rams thin secondary. And then maybe your favorite pick, definitely the internet's favorite pick. And by favorite, I mean least favorite pick, Mel. Bo Nix going to the Pittsburgh Steelers from Oregon, the quarterback by way of Auburn. Where do you want to start here? Because I know you just love two of these five picks. Yeah, the Brock Bowers one. I I understand why you were forced to do that once you didn't give him to some teams earlier. I get the need part of it. I just think he's too good. And I think to, to lock him into being a tight end, I just can't do it. I think you just move him around. He's like having a receiver entity. I don't know what you want to call him because I don't want to just say he's a tight end. You can do a lot of I things. I like your offensive weapon. Powers. Yeah. So I think, Field, myself, I don't see him getting down anywhere near this poor portion of the draft. I think somebody's got to pull the trade. Somebody's got to take Brock Bowers. They got to do it. He's, he's the seventh highest rated player on my board. He's eighth on your board. You say, who's going to say, uh-uh, I got to either go up and get him, or yeah. if he slides to me, I can find ways to utilize. Even though we have another guy, now we get these two together. We create major problems. We create nightmares for people. I still think the Chargers, if I'm the Chargers and I got Justin Herbert and I'm the Jim Harbaugh, it just it screams Chargers. It's Brock Bowers just looks like a charger to me. Yeah, I, I think about Kellen Winslow yeah. with Dan Fouts, and I'm looking at Justin Herbert and thinking Harbaugh and all the tight ends in Baltimore and in Michigan and everywhere he's been. And this guy is going to do so much. From the time he stepped on that field at Georgia, he was special. Two national titles, Nick Saban raving about him. Defensive guys not being able to stop him, contain him. The run after the catch, the way he'll test, the way he gets open. Everything about him, field. where's the hole? Blocking, he does that. Where's the issue with Brock Bowers? And and I don't know how a kid with that skill set and today's game, the way it's played, uh, drops this far down the draft board. So that, that to me, was a little tough to, to, to handle. But I, I get once you get him to a certain point in the draft, what are you going to do? If you're going needs, obviously teams have other needs other than tight end if you want to lock him into that position. Yeah, I started at pick nine. That was where the debate began for yeah. me with the Chicago Bears at pick nine. I mentioned Cole Komet, the, you know, the, the impact he had last season. Again, very different players. If you want me to pull the trigger there, I get it. The Jets at pick 10, they have to draft an offensive lineman. I just fundamentally believe it because protecting a 40-year-old Aaron Rodgers is the linchpin to their season on top of Rodgers staying healthy next year. Vikings have TJ Hawkinson, the Broncos. There are too many other needs on the board, specifically quarterback to go tight end there. 
Raiders drafted Michael Mayer last year. It looked like a good player to me. The Saints, Jawan Johnson, plus some other investments they have at the tight end spot. And then the Colts, that was one that made me think twice, Mel, but it just feels like with Indianapolis, they've made enough sort of mid-round investments in recent seasons that I said to myself, maybe they have enough strength in numbers to bypass a tight end. It's a fascinating dilemma. And I will say this, you mentioned the testing for Brock Bowers. That might change the narrative one way or the other once we get to Indianapolis, right? Because, you know, there's this photo that's been making the social media rounds. Now, I know you live on Twitter of Brock Bowers standing next to Gronk. And Gronk obviously is like, you know, sort of the outlier in terms of physical stature for tight ends. But uh, Brock uh, looked diminutive next to Gronk. It'll be interesting to see just how fast he runs, just how big he actually is. Because, like, if he ran a 4.55, Mel, then the conversation changes in a whole different way, right? But if that number is in the four sixes, then maybe it changes a little bit as well. Not to the point where he's going to drop below pick 16, but it might sort of reinforce that teams picking higher than 16 feel like they just need to attack a more premium position for a player other than Brock Bowers. But I feel bad, Brock. I do apologize to you right now. This is my official apology. 16 did not feel just to you because you are a heck of a player, like Mel said. But Mel, Nothing generated more reaction yesterday than Bo Nix going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I know that you, Jordan Reed, and half of the state of Pennsylvania think it's a terrible pick. Tell me more. Yeah, this is the deal for Pittsburgh. And I yeah. you, you kind of corrected yourself a little bit by the Justin Fields commentary, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, possibility of Pittsburgh trading for Justin Fields, making that move, and then all of a sudden now you don't have to worry about taking a quarterback. You've already got your quarterback. But in terms of if you, you don't make the move and you say, okay, how do we get better than Kenny Pickett? Kenny Pickett showed some promise. Kenny Pickett had some games where he looked pretty doggone good, okay, and the injury. The issue with Pittsburgh is the division. Mm. Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun yep. Watson. Then you throw in the AFC and all the great ones there, which we talked about a thousand times. But the division, I'm big on that, because if you're fourth, and they're fourth by yep. a mile, yeah. by miles, right, they can't see the quarterbacks in that division are so far looking away, right? So you got to get better. You got to get better than the quarterback you have, who's okay. But in this in this division, you can't have a single. Single's not winning games for it. You got to have a triple home run grand slam. You got to do something big here. You know, swing for the fences, right? Yeah. That to me is Justin Fields. That to me is the, you know, if you say Russell Wilson, if you can recreate what we saw in Seattle, but yeah. Justin Fields to me is that guy. Cause I really believe Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, outside the fact that it's a push, you take Caleb. And I think it's a push. I take Caleb because you reset the clock and you're not sure about Caleb, but you're not sure about Justin either. So you take Caleb thinking, Hey, he has shown the capability to be special. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, and I reset the clock. So if I can't figure it out, I'm resetting the clock. I'm taking Caleb, but the Pittsburgh, if you take Bo Nix, who has shown the last two years at Oregon, he's got the skill set necessary to be a decent starting quarterback in the NFL, maybe a decent to good. Yeah. That's not what Pittsburgh needs. They have that in Kenny Pickett. So they have a Bo Nix and Kenny Pickett. To me, that's why I said yesterday it didn't make sense to me, Field. And yeah. I get into all my wedding wedding crashers terms, right? I'm the best part of the day. Crashers the fan. Yep. The wedding crashers fan. That, that to me is where the it kind of unraveled. And it, but the, you did correct it. You did say we don't have trades. Justin yeah. Fields, you think, could become a Pittsburgh Steelers, which makes perfect sense to everybody. Yeah, and Shefty has been talking about this already, how Mike Tomlin has an affinity for Justin Fields, but with no trades done yet, Mel, and no trades allowed in Mach 1.0, my thought process, and I get it, like it's, you know, I've realized, Mel, like you can't make everybody happy, right? You're looking for an approval rating of about 51%. 
if, if you're having a good day here. But um, the Steelers must address the quarterback spot this offseason. I agree with everything that you said there about Kenny Pickett and the low ceiling. Um, I'm maybe a little bit less of a fan than Kenny. I, I don't. The moments have been harder for me to find. But the bottom line is we both think they need an upgrade. And I do think, Mel, I really believe five quarterbacks at minimum end up going in the first round with the sixth in play as well. But that fifth and sixth quarterback spot become a lot clearer once we have teams that are able to trade up or trade back and take quarterbacks maybe more where they belong, whether it's teams trading back from 12 to 16 or 17 or teams in the early 30s moving up to the late 20s to get back into the first round. Polarizing pick, Mel. But you know what? Nobody wants a boring mock draft. So I'll give you picks 20 okay. through 26. We've got 12 left. We'll do two six-packs here, Mel. Okay. First one, Miami Dolphins at 21, taking Troy Fasanu, the offensive lineman from Washington. The Eagles talk, taking Nate Wiggins, cornerback from Clemson. little mini cornerback run taking place here as the Houston Texans by way of the Browns. Get Ennis Rakestraw Jr., cornerback from Missouri, one of my favorite players in this entire class. Edron Cooper, inside linebacker, perhaps for the Cowboys, but just a linebacker in general at Texas A&M, goes 24th off the board. Your guy, Cooper DeGene, cornerback from Iowa, goes to the Green Bay Packers. So back-to-back years with the first-round pick on defense from Iowa to Green Bay. And then 26, this was a little surprising to some, Mel. The Buccaneers dipped their toe into Durham, North Carolina. They grab offensive lineman Graham Barton, played left tackle for the past three seasons for the Blues, began his career as a center. I know that you view him as a center. I would just say this. He's an interior offensive lineman at one spot at the other for me, and I think he's a heck of a player as well. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack there. I think when you look at where you are with Troy Fatanu, one of my favorite players in this draft. We yesterday had to pick our favorite guy, right? You had Reg Straw Jr. You know, Jordan yep. Reed had Johnny Newton, defensive tackle Illinois, and I went with Troy Fatanu, a left tackle who has played guard yep. and he played it really well. And he's going to be great in the NFL. Who did that in college? I brought up Zach Martin, was a left yep. tackle at Notre Dame. Came a guard in the National Football League, and Zach Martin with the Dallas Cowboys has been outstanding. So I think Troy Fatano going to Miami would be a heck of a pick at that point. You mentioned Man. Cooper DeGene. Is Cooper DeGene a corner or a safety? I don't care. He's going to be great at either one. I think he could be a heck of a safety. He's already he's a really a good corner. Uh, yep. To me, he's a, he does it all. So I like that. Love that pick. If he drops down that far, I don't think he will. Now, in terms of where we are right now with these corners, you have a lot of these guys dropping. And will they be forced up just a bit? We'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, again, you think about where we are with other positions. And the one position that kind of didn't materialize the way we thought was defensive tackle. Mm -hmm. Johnny Newton, you do not have in the first round. I do not. Okay? Yeah. You don't have – now, you have Byron Murphy the second going way up there. And I, yep. we, I, I just don't – I didn't see – I saw the potential. I didn't see the week. I thought Devondre Sweat was a guy. I knew what role he was going to play right away as a run stuffer. We'll get some penetration. Murphy, I think you're rolling the dice more for the upside and the ability to get sacks and maybe finish like you need in the NFL. But why is Johnny Newton not in the first round field? Johnny Newton had seven and a half sacks this past season, was justifiably named the Big, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, Mountain. The two concerns that I know that uh, people from the NFL have – uh, and concern is maybe too strong of a characterization. But the two factors that I think are going to dictate how high he goes in the draft, one is arm length, right? A lot harder to disengage if you've got short arms, which we'll see how those measure in Indianapolis. Johnny Newton did not go to any of the all-star games. So unless there is verified information that I'm not aware of, we don't know exactly how tall, long, how much he weighs, et cetera, for Johnny Newton. And the second part here, Mel, is 
disruptive against the pass, but you got to stop the run as well. And I think there were people that felt like against the run, he was more vulnerable than he was when he was disrupting plays behind the line of scrimmage as a pass rusher, which he did plenty of. And that might be enough to sneak him into the top 32. He was one of like three or four guys that when I finished the mock draft, I thought to myself, I almost want to write them an apology and say like, I like you enough to make the case for you in the top 32. I just couldn't quite squeeze you in. The reason why I asked that feels because this defensive tackle group, I wouldn't say unraveled. I was raving about it in August. Yeah. I thought we'd have all these guys in the first round mix, and it just didn't happen. I'm with you. Newton was kind of at times spotty. He had some really games where he popped and other games where he didn't. Same thing with Tawantre Sweat. You know what you're getting. Murphy to me, some people are higher on him than I am. You know, you think about where we are with Braden Fisk, you know, coming from Western Michigan to Florida State. He's not first-round material. The Miami, Florida, not first-round. So, to me, there was a lot of that going on. Uh, that it just didn't happen whether we thought it could. I didn't have right now in the top 25, anybody. So the top 25, you say top 32, maybe, but that's why we're talking about guys like that, that we had hyped in August. Right. And even before that, that just didn't happen to play to the level we thought it would. That position did not come together like we thought a long time ago. Totally agree. The only thing I want to say about this group that I didn't get in Mel, I don't want to write this one down. This is Thursday, February 15th declaration here. (laughs) My first mock draft, or the first edition of this first mock draft, had Troy Fatano going ninth to the Bears. So I know you love him, and maybe that's even too rich for your taste, Mel, but I thought about it. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. He's an unbelievable player. And he's a college left tackle that you and I both feel like can transition, as you referenced, like Zach Martin. But by the way, Mel, that happens everywhere now, right? Like Cody Mauck, second round pick last year to the Bucs. Uh, you know, he's now an inside player. He's a guard now. Even Robert Hainsey on that same Bucks offensive line, college right tackle who kicks down a center for the Bucs. Like we're seeing this left and right. It happens all over the place, Mel. And I really thought about it. I think that highly of Troy Fatanu. I know maybe that would be just trying to fit a need too much because the Bears really need some interior help, both at guard and center, especially uh after Nate Davis had kind of an uneven season this past year in Chicago, I thought about it, didn't quite get there, Mel, but that was a player that I considered. That's how much I think of Troy Fatano as well. Is that, that is that too crazy high or is that maybe not that unfathomable to you? I think he deserves to be. He's one of my top 15 players on the big board. He's right in that. I wish I'd done it then. Yeah, I have no problem with him going high. He's a safe pick. And you, you talk about smart and mean streak. Yeah. And you got to be, it's smart and tough. It's what all offensive line coaches the NFL say. If you're getting me a guy, Coming out of college, he better have those two qualities. And Fatanu does. So, no, I don't think so. And you mentioned another player field who I was tipped off to 
we all have our guys in, in college, and you know, we all have friends in college. And Billy Lewis, Billy Lewis, a friend of the family, went to Stevenson University, played a great as a safety there, 21 career interceptions with Lauren there at Stevenson. Got to know Billy and his family. He goes on, he's at Wisconsin, okay? Then he's at Duke. When he was at Duke, he said, hey, there's an offensive line here, Graham Barton, who could have yeah. played at Wisconsin, could play anywhere. This is when he was a freshman coming in. Billy ended up going back to Wisconsin. Now he's at Arkansas State with Butch Jones doing a heck of a job. Billy, to me, is going to be a player personnel director. He's going to be a GM. He's going to be a coach. He can do anything. Billy Lewis, one of the great football minds in college. Love Keep it. an eye out for him. He's going to have a great future. He's at Arkansas State right now, as I say, with Butch Jones. He told me about Graham Barton back in the day. And Graham Barton, to me, with versatility field, left tackle, going to guard, say some center. He can wear a lot of hats on an offensive line. And he's going to define a role right away. And once he defines that role, He's a Pro Bowl caliber player. So I, I think Fatanu in a pinch field could be your left tackle, right tackle. Yep. I mean, he can play those spots, but he's going to be a Pro Bowl guard. And that's if you have enough talent at the other spots, that's where you lock him in. Graham Barton can wear a lot of hats as well. And I think as a center, uh, the, a huge future ahead for him uh, for the job he did. So I'm with you. Graham Barton is one of those guys. I was a borderline first because he's a center, but the team you have him go to, you have Jackson Powers Johnson off senior bowl week and the great year he had at Oregon anchoring that offensive line in the first round. We've only had, I believe, 14 true centers in the last, what, 20 plus years go in the first round. And the ones that have turned out to be good. Some of them are very, very pretty, uh, very solid, very good. Had a couple busts along the way, but overall, not a lot. But in this particular year, you could have a couple, like you said, that deserve first round consideration. Yeah, Powers Johnson's so good that he'll just be a center in the NFL. You don't have to worry about it. But Barton fits in there to the first round, not just because he could be a great center, but you know the floor is higher because hey, if he's a guard for you, that seems totally within his skill set. He could play left tackle. It's just you know shorter arms there. Once again, going to be bothered by the reach. Last, last thing is I think Edgerin Cooper from Texas A&M could shred the combine. That's the one player that I had in the top 25, and I'm getting yep. my notes out here as we speak, and this is going back to games. Okay, flies to the football, diagnosis quickly, like he shot out of a cannon, right? Yeah. Sacks off the edge. DJ Durkin, former coordinator, moved him around, had him off the edge, getting after Milrow, Daniels, all the quarterbacks, right? He's out, out of the Louisiana prep ranks. Did a heck of a job there. Uh, length, 6'3", with long, really long arm. I mean, long, long, yeah. Long arm. He tackles, he sidelined, he had 84 tackles. He had 17 tackles for a loss, yep. eight sacks after having a half a sack going into this year, and he forced two fumbles. Length for an off-ball linebacker, when you talk about 6'3 with these incredibly long arms and wingspan, what does that do? You get a finger on a pass, okay, that's yep. deflected and, and keeps it away from being a reception. You intercept the pass. You affect the quarterback sight lines. You affect that quarterback in ways that the shorter inside linebackers can't, off-ball linebackers can't. And you have the versatility, as I said, to move him around and get after the quarterback. He closes in a hurry. And he flies around the football of the field. So, so I'm with Edger and Cooper. You have to the Dallas Cowboys, Van Der Esch off the injury, unfortunately. Yep. Got overshone off the injury. He was a third-round pick out of Texas, the Marvin overshone. Uh, you know, so you think about Mike Zimmer, linebacker centric. That exactly. Defense. Yeah. Yep. I think Edger and Cooper, I'm, I'm with I was that was, when I saw your mock, the one player that jumped out because I said, Cooper, field, field, fields. Studying the tape, and he's talking about maybe. Tell me this, Field. Was that a yeah. tip from the league? Did the league concur? Was that all you? Because I had him in my top 25. He's in my top 25. I think he's going to be tomorrow with 18. Yep. What, what got you? Was it your tape combined with the NFL? Tell us why you came to the conclusion that Edger and Cooper's a first-round pick to the Dallas Cowboys. 
For me, there was only one question surrounding Edron Cooper after watching the tape mail, because everything you highlighted, I completely agree with. But you mentioned the stats, right? Eight sacks, 17 tackles for loss. He was an unbelievably dominant behind the line of scrimmage player. But to be a first round off ball linebacker, Mel, you also have to be a guy who's good reactively going backwards, right? But you can't hold it against a kid when the scheme that he is running in college is not asking for him to have to drop every single play, right? Like this guy won't go until probably day three, but like John Trey Hunter, linebacker from Georgia State, this is like a terrific athlete who's dropping in coverage all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Edrin Cooper was doing a lot of his damage going forward, but I'm just telling you the skill set that he has translates going backwards as well. So if you ask him to have to maybe cover a tight end in the slot, maybe hold up against you know a bigger wide receiver in the slot as well, I think he's capable of doing it. And as I was going through team needs and uh, talking to our various NFL Nation reporters about what they viewed as team needs, Mel, the fact that the Cowboys are so thin at linebacker and after hiring Mike Zimmer, who you said like, I'm thinking about Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks when I make this pick. That's what I was thinking about when I put Edron Cooper 24th to the Dallas Cowboys. So I love the player. I think he's going to absolutely, as I said, smash it in Indianapolis in just a few weeks. If that happens, Mel, wouldn't surprise me if people have him viewed like you do at 18th on your overall big board. Great job, Phil. Love that. All right, I'll take it. We're back, baby. Let's wrap things up with a five, sorry, six more picks. um, And a couple of players that, man, it just felt unjust to have them this low. But here we go. Cardinals via the Texans, J.C. Latham, offensive tackle from Alabama. The Bills at 28, Brian Thomas Jr., the wide receiver from LSU. Lions take Darius Robinson, the defensive lineman from Missouri, coming off of a monster senior bowl week. Baltimore Ravens, Kamari Lasseter, cornerback from Georgia, get another corner fitting into the first round. And then our two Super Bowl teams, Marius Mims, offensive tackle, goes to the 49ers and the Chiefs, the defending champs for the second straight year, take Adonai Mitchell, wide receiver, from the University of Texas by way of the University of Georgia. What stands out there? A couple of players I don't think get this far down as, as you're projecting, and that's easy to do now as you look yeah. back on that mock first. I, I, I don't think Brian Thomas Jr., yeah. I have him, I think, at like 11, 12 on the big board right now. That'll be updated tomorrow, by the way, on ESPN.com. Every Friday I do that. Top 25 in the top 10 positional rankings are updated on Fridays. Okay. Brian Thomas Jr. is long. He's got catch radius. He's got the ability to take a top off a defense at any point. He had a year where he averaged 17 yards a catch with 17 touchdowns. He popped in just about every game. And when you look at that size advantage, the athleticism, the ability to go down the field and make plays, if he's there for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, oh boy, are you kidding me, Field? That would take seconds to get that that uh, card in. Will he be there though? I don't think he can because I think right now. You have Marvin Harrison Jr., Romo Dunze, or Malik Neighbors. Then who's your fourth receiver? It well, actually is Brian Thomas. And it's, right. he's he's number 20 on my big board mouse. Who's, fifth, who, who's best... your fifth receiver? Keon Coleman, Lad McConkey. Where do you go at five? I had Keon Coleman, and people are going to say, well, then why isn't he in the first round? Again, this comes back to what I think the league will do as opposed to what I would do. And Mel, no player's 40 time at the wide receiver spot Keon. might be as important yep. as Keon Coleman's in Indianapolis. If there's a question among scouts, it's what does that top end speed really look like? I got it right here, Phil. I got a question. How fast is he? It yeah. comes up is, every discussion I have with people like, how fast is Keon Coleman? If he's a 4-4 guy, like, you know, 4-4-8 male, first round lock. Lock it in right now, right? But if it's 4-5-7, different conversation. That's where a name, Lad McConkey comes in. 4-3s, baby. Lad McConkey can fly. 
Lad McConkey well, catches yeah. everything. Lad McConkey's plug and play. Lad McConkey was he? I, I I don't think he was in your first round, was he? Field? He was. He was the. So when I was debating, pick number okay. thirty-two for the Kansas City Chiefs, it came down to two players: Adonai Mitchell or Lad McConkey. Yeah, and I I think Lad finds a way in there. I I always do. McShay always called it a Kuiper stunt. I don't think no. Lad McConkey in the first round's a stunt. I really no. don't. It, it's 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 real. If you watched Bowers and McConkey. How can you not love them? They were so such an integral part of a team that won two national titles. And yeah. this year lost to Alabama when the guys, remember, they were all banged up. Okay. Yeah. To me, I think the other player in the top the bottom half around one is Robinson from Missouri. Yeah. Because he is red hot right now. Red He's hot. got the great arm length, right? That everybody loves, right? Huge hands. Yeah. Huge. All the Powerful. physical. At versatility, he was popping. He's they're moving him around. Defensive line coaches are going to say, I always say to the assistant coaches field, D line coaches I mentioned Edger and Cooper for a linebacker coach, guys in the secondary with length. O, o line can be a smart, tough. I, I look at assistant and say, Give me that. Who's a give me that guy guy? Okay, right. Who's that Darius Robinson is a give me that guy guy. Okay. And I think he's going to be a player that maybe screams up into the middle of the first. Maybe. And we've seen this in past years. And it could be a Kuiper stunt field. All right. This may be a Kuiper stunt. Okay. Top 10 for Robinson. Mel. Shocking first round. I don't think you're crazy. Mel, I thought about him. We've seen it before. We've seen it before. I thought about him at 13, Mel. Okay. With the Raiders because they need a defensive tackle, defensive lineman, right? He's he's a defense he's a defensive end now, but he was a defensive tackle for three seasons, four seasons at Missouri. So it's possible. I got Uh, mock. I got my mock 2.0 coming out the end of the month. I believe like the 28th. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 28th. (laughs) They'll be higher than 29th. But you're telling me there'll be there'll be a few stunts in that mock 2.0. Believe me, you know what, Mel? You got to cover some ground here. Uh, You'll be you'll be be you'll have some interesting comments when you see 2.0. But uh, there you go. Now, now, players players that you left out that you're sitting there saying, "I wish I didn't." Yeah, the the the, I I mentioned a couple of them. Keon Coleman certainly up there. Lad McConkey certainly up there. Chop Robinson and Mel, he is definitely going to be a player that causes all kinds of conversations within draft rooms. Four sacks this past season, two of them against UMass, two against the rest of the schedule. Inconsistent production in terms of sacks throughout his entire career. But he's the most explosive edge rusher in the class. He's got that kind of first step, and he might also tear up Indianapolis, right? So Chop Robinson, and not to make this as simple because they played at the same school, but there's going to be conversations that are comparable to Adafi Owe, first round pick just a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, with the Baltimore Ravens out of Penn State, zero sacks his final season. It was short season, but still zero sacks that final season, Mel. Jop Robinson is going to, until we get to the draft itself, agonize me from the standpoint of, does he belong the first round or is he more top of the second round kind of guy? Because the talent here's, is so good. Here's a little tip for you, Phil, that I've tried yeah. to pick up over the years. And I got to always remind myself to do this. All right. And it's really to everybody out there in Draft Nation who does big boards because everybody does them. What you do each week, you do this exercise every week. Okay. The top 25, which goes a lot deeper, but we put the top 25 up there. Yep. So I'm constantly rating players, top 10s. Do it for a reason, Field. Go back and look at it each week. Yeah. Don't forget about it. Right. Maintain it. Keep it. Go back to late August when you started the year. Then you update it every week as they're playing. So this is based on performance on the field. Who... Did you have in the top 25 in week two, week five, week seven? Keep an eye on it. If a guy was in my top 25, he was in there for a reason. 
Okay. It wasn't just based because I love the name, love some of the things he did two years ago. It was what he did real time to get there at that point in the season. So I go back. Chop Robinson was there. Chop Robinson was a guy that we thought was going to be a first round pick and maintain that position for a reason. He had that higher grade. All those guys that at some point you thought was top 25 material. Don't forget about them. Mm. Okay. There was yeah. a reason why they may have dropped out, but don't forget about them. Cause if they were there, they were there because they popped and they played well enough to get there. And they had my, and I've always had coaches tell me, if you show me, you can do it in a game or two or three, I can coach you into consistency week in and week out. We can, totally. our job as coaches, we have coach before our name for a reason, right? We're the best in the world. We're the 32 best E-line coaches, 32 best O-line coaches in the world. If you showed me, you can be really, really good, but you didn't maintain a level of consistency. I can do it. I can yeah. figure it out for you. So to me, Chop Robinson, no, I would have no problem with him in the first round. Mock. And, and but just to make that, that, that comparison one more time. His rookie season, Odafi Owe was terrific, right? Forcing fumbles left and right, generating some sack production. So the Ravens were able to squeeze out from him what I hope some team can squeeze out of Chop Robinson as well. I feel like I've survived, Mel. We made it through 32 picks. I'm still here. I'm still standing. You know, it's, you know, there is going to be a mock 2.0. I don't have to resign from my position as of yet. But it was a lot of fun. And we're back on Monday, Mel. And for those that are listening to the podcast right now, of course, check us out on Monday, ESPN2. 2 p.m. Eastern time. I don't know what we're discussing as of oh, right I now. I got Mel. one right here, Phil. I'll what give you, you a little sneak peek. I got a little off script. I got Ooh, three guys, great. maybe five by by Monday. You might just do a whole show of off script. People Why aren't not? talking. I, you go off script as well, Field. I go off script every day. I go on time I'm on in the air, so it's always off script. But it's an off script. So I got guys that people aren't talking enough about that I think are going to be good picks in the draft. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at them here. You won't hear them until Monday. All right. Uh, you're not going to hear them on Darian Mel on Saturday. By the way, we're on from uh, 10 to 11:30, leading into college basketball, and uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about from a football standpoint there. Uh, Aaron Goldhammer's filling in for Dario on Saturday. So I'm going to have a lot of draft talk Saturday morning, but on Monday field off script with these names on this paper, which you don't see, I see them. It's going to be fun to hear who they are because a couple of them may surprise you. All right, our great producer, Dave Presley, uh, right now is a note. Maybe we should make it like multiple blocks of off script because I got some names as well that need to get more attention here during the draft process. All right, Mel, I will talk to you on Monday. We'll go off script and so much more. Until then, everybody, enjoy your weekend and do me a favor. Don't mock Mock 1.0. I put a lot of time and effort into that. See you soon. <laughs>